What's up, y'all? It's Aquilib Corporate, and yo, you know what it is, right? Every single week, we're bringing y'all some type of really dope conversation where we're centering and amplifying black and brown people at work. We talk to executives, entrepreneurs, activists, uh, creatives, and those creatives could be musicians or artists or, you know, poets, you know what I mean? Authors. And we, we really talk to a wide array of individuals on this podcast. And, um, you know, this week is uh, is no different. But before we get there, I just want to, you know, tap in, make sure y'all are um, y'all are good. You know what I mean? I mean, look, we're coming up on uh, the uh, holiday season. Well, I guess we're in the thick of it, right? I mean, we've just had Thanksgiving. We're getting ready to get up for Christmas. Kind of companies are slowing down and shutting down. Um, and I know this is going to be a hard time, right? Like this is not a happy time for everybody. So from uh, from my heart and living corporate community, yours hoping that you're staying up out there, that you're taking care of yourself. Um, you know, mental health and wellness is something that we have to be constantly on guard and mindful of. Uh, and, you know, it's with that in mind that uh, we have some updates, but I can't share them yet. But I just want to let y'all know that we have some updates around, you know, mental health and wellness and healing in the context of being other at work. I'm really excited to share those soon. OK, just a little teaser just to let y'all know we are cooking up something. Um, you know, as a reminder, if you're not tuning in yet, make sure you check out the leadership range. Uh, Neil Edwards is incredible. It's only been, what, seven weeks? And he has created some incredible content. Um, and if you haven't caught on yet, go ahead and check it out. Check out the link in the show notes. But make sure you follow him. Follow the podcast. Subscribe. Five stars. All of that. Tell a friend. But check it out for yourself, firstly and foremost. What else we got going on? So you know that we're kind of on hold right now. We're in between seasons with our web shows, with the access point, with the group chat, with So What Do I Do? But in the meantime, we have a limited series that we're working on and that we've been we've been producing uh, called Dare to Share. And that's actually co-powered by Canaries. And so I want to make sure y'all check that out. Uh, we had a really good first episode. We have the next one coming up in January. So make sure you check it out, livingcorporate.tv. I'm just trying to kind of get my promo off. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on on Living Corporate. We have a lot of things happening, frankly, all at the same time. And it's easy to, you know, miss stuff just because there's so much happening right in front of you. So I just hope that, you know, you take the time and just rock with us for a while. So what I've been really proud about when it comes to Living Corporate is the fact that we don't just have one type of otherized person or other on our show right like we have all types of black and brown folks and what i'm really excited about and i continue to be excited about is that we spotlight folks across the diaspora and we also spotlight folks who are not in traditional nine to five roles right so the idea of living corporate you know you may end up thinking that like we're only talking to people who are in the c-suite we just mean just out here in the world if you're working if you have a nine to five this show is for you. This content is for you in some form or fashion. And so, you know, the guest that we have today, his name is Derek Ashong. Derek Ashong is also known as DNA. Um, he's a producer, a musician, an entrepreneur. He's known for working with major figures, including Oprah Winfrey, Steven Spielberg and Dave Stewart of the Eurythmics. OK, um, but he has a, a new show uh, called Pass the Mic Africa that we're going to get into. But. What inspires me about Derek and his story is that it was his authenticity 
that got him in the rooms that he was in. Right. And him not trying to shrink or assimilate, but rather um, stand out. And I think there's something to be said there for everybody who's listening to this is that, man, you know, you know, most of the people around you are going to try to fit in. Right. So you trying to fit out by just being yourself automatically puts you at an advantage. So, you know, I'm excited about us getting in this conversation with Derek, also known as DNA. Uh, but before we do that, we're going to tap in with Tristan. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. This week, let's talk about burnout, what it is, and how to recognize it. Before we can recognize burnout, we have to understand what it is. In May of 2019, the World Health Organization announced the 11th version of the International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems, also known as the ICD-11. This revision included an updated and more detailed entry on burnout. While it was previously only classified as a state of vital exhaustion, it's now classified as a syndrome conceptualized as a result from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. The World Health Organization emphasizes that burnout is specifically work-related and characterized by three main things. One, a sense of exhaustion or depletion. Two, mental distance from or negativity or cynicism about work. And three, decreased effectiveness at work. Now that we know what burnout is, let's talk about all the signs of burnout. First, you don't get excited about work anymore. If you feel like you're no longer interested in the work that you're doing, even the things that used to make you feel fulfilled, you may be experiencing burnout. This sometimes may even be depression, and if you think that is the case, I suggest you speak with a mental health professional. The second sign is that you're no longer putting in the effort. When you lose that excitement and enthusiasm, you might get negative or even apathetic. Then you begin doing just the minimum to get by rather than your normal amount of effort in the workplace. The third sign is that your performance begins to suffer. I don't think this is a surprise to anyone, but since you are less interested in your work and begin doing the bare minimum, your performance begins to decline. The fourth sign is that you feel exhausted or depleted. Often you'll feel mentally, physically, and emotionally drained. It may be challenging to get out of bed and to get to work. The fifth sign is that your burnout manifests physically into ailments and bodily issues. This looks different for everyone, but some of the most common ones include insomnia, chest pain, headaches, shortness of breath, dizziness or fainting, stomach issues, or you could just be getting sick more often. Generally, burnout can be difficult for most of us to recognize, but it's necessary that we recognize the signs because it isn't something that will just go away. Next time, we'll talk about what to do if you think you're burnt out. Thanks for tapping in with me this week. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Derek, welcome to the show. How's it going, man? It's going well, fam. Thank you so much. Let's get to it. Like, talk to me about your path and like, like one, just what did it look like for you to get to doing what you're doing now? Um, I had the idea when I was, uh, well, first of all, you know, I grew up in a number of different places, like started off as um, a kid in Ghana, grew up in 
uh, Accra in Flatbush, in Riyadh, in Doha. Every four years, still I was 20, moved to a new country, uh, grew up around multiple cultures, multiple religions, grew up speaking multiple languages. And it's almost like I always had these ideas of wanting to do something with my life, but not necessarily having the clarity of what was the path to get to where I wanted to be, not always knowing where it was that I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to have an impact. And the interesting thing is, in a way, I was open to the opportunities that came before me. And I also followed what I believed in. And I tried to be good at the things that I do. And now when I look back, I'm like, oh, wow, those three elements really led to some incredible uh, opportunities and, and experiences. You know, I think I, I read I read your intro and your journey has been amazing. Harvard. TED, the United Nations, multiple fellowships. Can we talk about, I know you just said like, you know, focus on being really good at what you do, but like, how did you get in all these spaces? Because there are plenty of us mm. who, look, who look like you, who look like me, who are great at what they do and have not been afforded the privilege of those spaces. Like, talk to me about how it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it's interesting because we'll take it to high school, right? So I came back from my last two years of high school in New Jersey. And I remember um, I went to public school in South Jersey, about 30 minutes outside of Philly. And I remember when I was talking to my professors about where I want, or at least my guidance counselors about where I wanted to go to college, they didn't really buy it. You know, it's literally like, oh, I want to go to Harvard. And they're like, oh, it's kind of, it's a good school. Uh, you got anything else in mind? I'm like, oh, I think about applying to Brown. Oh, it's a good school. Um, you got a safety? And I was like, yeah, Brown is my safety. And I didn't get encouragement. <laughs> I, it wasn't like they were like, okay, well, here's what you got to do to make it happen. It's like they just thought I was arrogant or crazy or buckwild or whatever. Interestingly, even prior to that, I had had an experience where I came in from overseas. And when I got to the school, they're like, oh, you don't have these prerequisites. So we're not going to put you in the AP courses. We're going to put you in honors. And I was like, okay, I don't know what any of that means but I'm just gonna try to do my best. And the interesting thing is, I very quickly discovered that my idea of what my best could be and the general idea of what my best might be did not match, right? So when I decided where I wanted to apply to college, for example, it wasn't because it was what was expected of me. It's because I came from a background where, you know, I was just trained to defy expectations. Uh, and I would put it a little more bluntly, as a black male in America, the expectations of me from the society, the schooling, a lot of the people and spaces around me were much less than the expectations of myself. And that's because I grew up overseas. I didn't know that, you know, up until I was 16 years old, that black people are not supposed to be smart. Never occurred to me, never was mentioned, literally did not exist. And I think that part of what winds up happening for so many of us is that you just get bombarded, bombarded, bombarded by the weight of expectation or the lack thereof. And so we get constrained by what we think is possible. And I've been fortunate and yes, privileged that I grew up in a way where I didn't really see the boundaries. And so I went for what I wanted. I mean, let's talk about like the first time you walked into the United Nations and like just what that experience was like. And then also like specifically, what were you doing in that context? So I've done a couple of things with the United Nations. I think that the first one 
was actually not even in the US. It was at the United Nations Alliance of Civilizations. And um, I was asked to speak on a panel, something about, I think, media and impact or like the power of storytelling, whatever. And there was all these like influential people. I think the, the head, the then uh, CEO of Participant Pictures was on the panel. There was a couple of other luminaries. I was the youngest person on it. And one of the things that happens in these spaces is one, you're usually the only black person. And in this case, as I said, I was the only young person or at least the youngest one. There were other youth, but they weren't invited on that panel uh, or on many others. Interestingly, uh, because I was in this quote unquote youth experience, we were literally at this event and you know, not to put anybody on blast, but it came time for, for lunch. And there were all these tables where people went and sat and ate and there was no table for the young people. Because a lot of times when you deal with these big governmental things, everybody's got their attache and their foreign minister and this and this and that, and they're doing what they need to do. And the big execs are all sorted and taken care of. Uh, but then the young people were kind of an afterthought. It's good for marketing, but not so good in terms of how they were treated, at least in my experience. And so we went like, okay, we're going to find a table. Hey, yo, we need to holler at somebody who's doing the catering. Hey, blah, 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 blah. Where do you, there's like 20 of us. We don't have anything to eat. Could you help us out? Blah, blah, blah. And we just organized ourselves to get what we needed. So by the time it came to go and sit in the panel, I'm like, oh, some of us are here for cosmetic reasons. And let me make it more interesting than that. So I always try to share something or bring something to the table that is substantive. And in that particular experience, yeah, I was I was nervous, feeling like, wow, like, you know, you get called into a certain experience and maybe it's new for you. You haven't been there before. Maybe other people have a much deeper, fatter resume than your own. Um, but getting shaded out of lunch was great because it made me a little bit belligerent. And I didn't bring the belligerence out in terms of rudeness or lack of respect for the other people on the panel. But I did say, oh, okay, I, I, I understand a little bit more here. Um, I'm here to be a disruptor and I can do it respectfully. I can do it effectively. And that's how I approached it. Okay, so now look, we're here because we're really trying to talk about this Take Back the Mic series. Now, I recognize, you know, look, reading your bio, that Take Back the Mic is not a new venture for you, um, that it is established, that you've really grown it uh, over years and that it's, it's recognized in a variety of different spaces. So let's talk about kind of like the origin of Take Back the Mic, and then this latest series, Take Back the Mic Africa. Yeah, no doubt. Okay, so it's interesting because some years ago I had done, so I started off my career as a, as a musician and I had gone back home. I wanted to do something in Ghana that could kind of, you know, speak to who we are as a people, my perception of the continent. And at the time, I was a little bit frustrated because I felt like every time you hear somebody talk about Africa, it's always, the, you know, drama and, and devastation and despair. And I'm like, when I go home, <laughs> that's not what I see. It's not like there aren't issues, but there's issues in Brooklyn, there's issues in Philly, there's issues in L.A. and in Boston. Why is it that the, the stories of Africa are always told with such a negative spin? And it's like, well, you got to ask, who's the storyteller? And so I thought, well, I want to do something special. But that shows my culture as I see it. And because I'm an artist, I'm like, well, I'm not going to protest the way it's being done. I'm just going to have another option. And so we went and we did a remix of this old West African classic called Sweet Mother, uh, the most popular song in West African history. And, um, and then we, uh, we flipped it and did a video that just showed life on the streets of Accra 
as seen through the eyes of the people. That video blew up. It became number four in the country. R. Kelly, Usher, Beyonce, and then my band got picked up out of South Africa, out of the UK, out of Jamaica, um, on big outlets, BBC, whatever, whatever. Next thing you know, MTV base, it's airing in like 60, 70 different countries. And through that experience, I was able to see like, wow, we can make an impact. But I also started getting invited to these events. And this is where the answer to your question lies. One of them was a cipher. And I was back home in Accra and, you know, we're doing our thing. And uh, we, I got invited to the cipher. Everybody's getting up, throwing down some rhymes. And this one kid, you know, gets up and he starts flowing. And you're like, oh, that sounds good. And then next thing you know, he switches languages. And just as you're processing, like, wait a minute, is this kid improvising in two different languages? Boom, he flips into freestyling in a third. And I was like, yo, people can't do this in one language. You just did it in three. Like, it's insane. And I'm just like, yo, the most interesting stuff happening in hip hop is not necessarily happening in the United States. How do we think bigger? And that's really where the genesis of this came from, those two experiences. The one was, why is it that our stories are always told in a negative light? Who is the storyteller? And then the second being, hey, wait a minute, there's something happening in this global culture that is amazing if you look bigger and beyond the borders of the United States. And so we created Take Back the Mic. The principle being, this is the first generation that has both the talent and the technology to speak for itself, to tell its own stories, to represent who we are in, through our own eyes. So we should take back the mic and let this generation speak for itself. That is the birth of the movement. We decided to build it through artistry. We decided to start with hip hop culture, although it's growing to become much broader than that, but that is at the root of it. And what we're doing now is we took Take Back the Mic, the World Cup of Hip Hop, which was a show that's like part travel show, part music competition, in Brazil, Colombia, Jamaica, we expanded in Mexico, Republica Dominicana, all this cool stuff. And now we're doing it for the first time, not just for digital devices, but also for TV. And that series is called The Mike Africa. Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya, Rwanda, South Africa, and Mauritius, all competing artists that were selected by fans using the Take Back the Mic app. And now we're gonna tell the story of Nairobi and, and, and Lagos and Accra and Joburg through the eyes of those artists. That's incredible. That's incredible. You know, you, you made some mention about some artists. What does it look like to maintain relationships with all of these different artists across the world? And like, just from a networking perspective, right? Like you're a businessman, right? Like you're a businessman, you're a connector, you're a jet setter, all these different things. How do you keep all those connections warm? It's very difficult, to be honest. And the reality is I don't keep them warm because I'm not good at that. I'm the person who you bring in if you want to spark something. And this has been a lesson in trying to figure out where are my strengths? Where's my power? Where's my contribution? If you're like, yo, D, I need you to follow with these and these, these people every day with this amount of time and capturing X, Y, Z. I'm going to really, really struggle because the way that my brain works, it's just always thinking in a slightly different frame. And so what I did, I realized I was like, you know what, what I'm good at is to light that fire and to make it blow. Uh, then when you need somebody else to tend the flames, uh, it's got to be a different person. And so I have a team with me that is really, really dope. They're all incredible in their own ways. And basically, 
we play our positions, you know, like people will look at what we do and be like, yo, this is so dope. Oh my God, D, you like do on some legendary ish. How'd you pull that off? You got Emmy nominations, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do any of that by myself. I figured out where my strengths were. I learned to work with people who were stronger in areas where I was not as good. And then we collaborate. And I think that's where all of this beautiful stuff comes from. You always hear the story and they're like, oh, this person is so ill. Like, yo, she did this, he did that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, it's great for storytelling, but it's not how magic gets made. At the end of the day, it really is about teamwork. I mean, I think I think it's true. Like, we really underplay the role of just community, right? Like, it's this that's right. individualistic culture and mindset that has this thinking that everyone just builds these empires on their own. That's exactly right. And and I will say something like that's a little bit cultural, right? So I was raised that, um, you know, y y community is everything. It's at the center. So we try to give dap and love and respect and honor to all the people who are a part of making this happen. And to your question, all those artists, they are a part of what we do because we have great people finding ways to build and grow that community. Okay, so let's just talk about it one more. I know you shared a little bit, but I want to just continue to form because I, I don't want folks to miss this. What's the motivation behind Take Back the Mic and what's the ultimate goal? Like, you know, you look up, let's say, you know, 80 years from now, like what is it that you want people to look back and say, this did or this is doing? I want to transform the reality and perception of the African continent and people of the African diaspora around the world, period. I think that at the end of the day, if you look at how power is built, so much of it is based on perception. Reality matters, but so much is based on perception. The reality is when you talk to people about the United States, they will have one idea of like, oh, it's amazing. It's this, it's that. What are and up until relatively recently, I think our our, our global brand has been damaged uh, in great um, in, in a large way in recent years. But when I try to explain people things like police brutality, they wouldn't believe it. Even people in the United States wouldn't believe it. It's only with the advent of cell phones. Everyone's like, why is this happening so much? Oh my God, the cops are just killing blacks. How is this happening all of a sudden? I'm like, it's not all of a sudden. It's just that now we have phones to record it because when we told you, you didn't believe. It's only when you saw it with your own eyes, then it's like, oh. And then there's still be an, uh, uh, find some excuse to be like, oh, well, that kid smoked weed one time. So maybe he deserved it. It's it's crazy. And what happens is the U.S. has managed to create this wonderful perception of itself around the world, again, up until recently. But then the reality is quite flawed. You know, most of the bankruptcies that happen in our country are because people can't afford their medical bills and the richest nation in the history of the planet. How is it possible? Now, you look to the African continent and you see that. No. It's a, it's a totally different ballgame. We're expected to do badly. We're expected to be worse. We're expected to be poorer and lesser and not having as much. And because, you know, Malcolm X had a very interesting quote back in the day that said that until, you know, the, the, the black person in America or in Jamaica, Brazil, or across the diaspora, England, France, wherever, is never going to be truly respected until Africa is also respected. Right. Like you, you, you can't be a person of honor if your mother is disrespected. Tree cannot grow without its roots. And what I'm looking at is how do we challenge that perception of Africa? Because already our reality is better than what people think when they come to Ghana, when they go to Nigeria, when they go to South Africa, they're like, yo, it's like that. What? Nairobi is hot. Like what? I mean, so my focus is how do I leverage the power of technology and storytelling to transform how people see the continent? and how we as African peoples see ourselves in each other 
around the world. And I think if you do that, you actually can build a very, very big business. I mean, we're the youngest continent on the world. We got a market of 1.3 billion people. The technology that we build helps people get better connected and get better access to, to mobile technology and, and, and rich media content. But on a cultural level, you know, we're literally focused on not only connecting the continent, but connecting the culture across the diaspora. And that doesn't just mean black people. You know, at the end of the day, our culture has been so impactful all around the world that we should be able to have dialogue with people in Korea and Vietnam and in Germany and in Argentina. Why not? And that is what I want to contribute, a permanent positive shift where we're telling our own stories and the world is responding to how we see ourselves. I mean. I want to give a little bit of space before we let you go. <laughs> I'm just blown away by this. That's why I'm pausing. Um, is what advice would you give to black and brown folks trying to build movements, businesses or whatever else they're trying to do? We got to work together. We have to be open minded. You never know uh, where your allies and your partners can come from. We've been able to build a multicultural, multiracial, multigender, ethnic uh, squad that has got incredible skills. I think that you have to not only believe in yourself and believe in each other, you have to be willing to, you know, suffer the slings and arrows, so to speak, because everyone, like, I'll literally step into a room and be the most expert person on the subject I'm talking about and still have people talk over me. And in a way you could get mad, but what I do is I try to, be really good at what I do. I Because at the end of the day, I'm trying to make an impact and, and to succeed, not just to feel good, not just to feel like, oh, I got my props, but like, no, to be the baddest. And I think that for those who are seeking to find their way to build something that they can believe in, it's like, start with that. You know, find out what moves you, believe in you, believe in yourself. Strive to be great at what you do. Find other people who believe in this thing too, who believe in you. Do it together. I just feel like there's so much, you know, drama in the world today and people are sad and despairing and, and anxious and fearful for real reasons, for real reasons. But there has to be a spirit of joy in this battle. You have to find something that you love so deeply, so passionately that every day, even if it's just a flicker, that flame is still alive and cultivate that flame and try to shine as bright as you can. Yo, Derek, this has been dope, man. Before we get up out of here, uh, please plug past the mic Africa and where folks can learn more about it. No doubt. You guys can check us out at takebackthemic.com. That's takebackthemic.com. But you will see the links to download it on Google Play, download it on the Apple App Store. Once again, go to takebackthemic.com. When you get in there, there is literally a chart button. Hit that chart button on the bottom of the app, and it will show you a series of flags of the competing countries. And you will get to see what the Mike Africa is all about and the incredible talents that we've discovered. And we're going to share their stories in the most beautiful way. I will say, you know, we are shooting right now in a world where production is largely stopped because of COVID. We're shooting live as we speak in six different countries simultaneously. And when you see, we have, I think, three Academy Awards submitted producers on the squad this year. When you see the stories that are coming out of the continent as seen through the eyes of African artists, it is incredible. And I'm proud and I'm happy and I'm excited to share with the world. Man, y'all heard it here. Look, check out Pastor Mike Africa in the show notes. 
Uh, make sure you look up all the information we have all in the show notes about Derek Ashong and all the things he's been doing, all the things he's working on. Uh, y'all, this is what we do every single week. We're having these conversations on Living Corporate, centering and amplifying black and brown folks who work. And black and brown folks, it's not just black and brown folks um, who are American descendants of slavery. It's the whole diaspora, right? It's black and brown people. And uh, I just, I'm so honored. I'm so excited and thankful that we were able to have Derek on the show. Till next time, this has been Zach. You've been listening again to Derek, a strong entrepreneur, musician, producer, writer, speaker, connector, all those things. Peace. And we're back. Look, you know, again, I want to shout out Derek, shout out all the work that he's doing. Make sure you look up all the information from Pass the Mic Africa. It's everything's in the show notes. Don't be a stranger. Um, a lot of great content's happening. And just a reminder, y'all, that like, you know, we're magic and we're real at the same time. Like, you know, we make the world move, right? Like you think about hip hop, you think about all the things that we birth, right? Like the world spins because of us. And I hope that you found this conversation encouraging. I found it really exciting and insightful and exciting for real. And I'm hoping also that you can give us five stars. All right. If you haven't stopped and got on iTunes, I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. I say iTunes because I'm still I'm actually old for real, y'all. Like I'm 31, but I'm an old 31. If you haven't given us five stars on Apple Podcasts, I mean, I just I don't know, man. Like I'm looking at the numbers. I'm seeing we have a lot of downloads. You know what I'm saying? Can we get to 300 five-star reviews by the end of the year? Can we? I think we can. Just take a second. You know what I'm saying? Pause. And uh, just press five stars. And don't give four. I see a couple of four. Our average, our average overall rating is five stars. But some of y'all be on there giving us four stars. Man, that's crazy. That's crazy. Um, anyway, look. Uh, we'll talk to y'all soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for checking out Living Corporate. And uh, shoot, next thing you'll hear will be myself and Amy on See It to Be It on Saturday. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.